We are in Acts chapter 28. So go ahead and find that in your Bibles, Acts chapter 28. You see the title of the sermon is Finishing the Book. I think this is sermon number 54 in Acts, 54. That's either, that's either exciting or horrifying, I don't know which. But I have, enjoyed, I have enjoyed the book of Acts far more than I thought I would. I've been a lot of good stuff in here, but we're going to finish finish the book today. We're going to actually go back and catch some of the themes and highlights. Um, but let's read Acts chapter 28, verse 17 through 31. We'll comment uh, on the way, then we'll come back to our notes. It says, three days later, he called the local Jewish leaders. So three days, this is three days after arriving in Rome. He's been shipwrecked. He spent three months on an island, and it was a hop, skip, and a jump to Rome, stopping off in a couple places. Three days after arriving in Rome, after this long journey, three days, didn't waste any time at all, he calls together the Jewish leaders. This would be the synagogue leaders. It would be the business or commerce leaders and any other respected Jewish citizens. So this is a special group of people. Who it would not include would be any of the Sanhedrin, because they're in Jerusalem, and not many, if any, priests, because they would mainly be in Jerusalem too. So this is a slightly different group of people representing the Jewish people that, that, that he dealt with in Jerusalem. So that's important a little bit later. It says, When they assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the custom of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. He says, the Jews would not let it go, so I appealed to Caesar. That was my way out. Like, they wouldn't let it go, even though I was innocent. This is how I left Jerusalem. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. And he's simply saying, I'm not here to cause any trouble. I'm not trying to stir anything up with the, with the Jews. Verse 20, for this reason, I have asked to see you and talk to you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound, in, bound with this chain. So it says the hope of Israel, that's the Messiah. He says, I'm not here to cause any trouble. I'm here because of the common thing we're looking for, the Messiah. I'm actually here because of the Messiah. That's why I'm here above you. And, says, and he wants to explain this. They replied, verse 21, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. So the Jewish people in, in Jerusalem that wanted to kill him did not forward any charges. They did not write any letters. They did not send anything to indicate why they wanted Paul to be executed, why they wanted him to be in, under arrest. And, and, and then the travelers, the business travelers, the tourist travelers, no one who came to visit had any bad report about Paul. Now the Jewish people, when they traveled, they connected at the synagogue. So they would have talked to all these people. No one, no one sent any letters. No one sent anything bad to say. Verse 22, But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. Now the word sect is important because 
that indicates that they are considering uh, the Christians as part of the Jewish religion. They have the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Zealots, and, and they're seeing the Christians right alongside them. So the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees don't agree on a lot of things, but they worship the same God. Same for the Zealots and the Essenes and all this. And they're thinking this is a new sect that's joining the argument. They have their own thoughts, and, and we want to hear about it. Remember, this is not the Sanhedrin. This is not the teachers of the law. This is not the people that work in the temple who are, are centered in Jerusalem, who are running the religion, if you will. These are people who are in Rome practicing the religion. That's the main difference here. And we need to recognize that. So these folks have a different perspective. They say, well, we haven't heard any of the bad stuff. We haven't received any charges. But we have heard about the Christians. And we know there's a lot of people that, that don't like them. Please explain. That's, that's their request. So verse 23. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even greater numbers to the place where he was staying. So probably their, their friends and their family members and other people who heard about this, they all came out of curiosity to hear what Paul had to say. Continuing on, it says, He witnessed to them from, from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. So I'm sure he shared his testimony. I'm sure he shared the gospel. He did this from the Old Testament, the law of Moses and the prophets. He talked about Jesus being the Messiah to the Jews and Savior to the Gentiles. He gave them an opportunity to respond, verse 24. Some were convinced about what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his final statement. And then we have that final statement. So this is what, this is what kind of broke up the crowd, and this is what they argued about. His final statement was this. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will never, uh, you, excuse me, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have even closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. So what he's doing is he's quoting the Old Testament, and he's saying to them, you know, you guys were supposed to be my voice to the world, but you're not even embracing me. You're, you're not even, you haven't rallied around me. You haven't accepted me. You're not following God's commands. You're not following Christ. Therefore, verse 28 I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. The, the thrust here is that you guys didn't do what you're supposed to do, but God's plan is still moving forward. The gospel is still going to the world. And that was his statement that he made. That's what caused them to argue. What did they argue about? Uh, one, that they had let God down. And two, that, that the message was going to the Gentiles. That was always the debate. Is it for the Gentiles? Is it not for the Gentiles? Are, are we special, and did we do something wrong? That's what they're arguing about, and that's what they left. So some believed and some didn't. Verse 30, for two whole years, and this is a fairly long time, okay? For two full years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ 
with all boldness and without hindrance. So he stayed in for two years. So I want you to realize that this is the beginning of the reign of Nero. Now you know who Nero is. He's famous for burning down the city and then blaming the Jews for it. And it was the beginning of, of the persecution of the Christians. So Nero became a, a very famous and very brutal persecutor of the Christians. But right now, he's just come into power. And, and there's a time of peace for a couple of years where Paul's able to preach. So Nero hasn't progressed to what I would call the state of craziness that caused him to act as he did. But that's a time frame there. So for two years, Paul's, Paul gets to preach. And Paul gets to share with Jew and Gentile. And that's where the book ends. That, that's where we stop right there. That's the end of the record. The, the book of Acts is done. Any more we learn about Paul, we learn from his letters and his statements. And, and this is what we have. Let's go to the notes. Let's finish what this section says, and then we'll look at the whole book at once. So finishing the book, number one, we have to talk about God's promise to Paul. God's promise to Paul. We'll start with, with C, because that identifies the location of the promise. God's promise to Paul in Acts 23.11 was fulfilled 100%. What was that promise? A, Paul testified to the Jews in Rome, and B, Paul testified to Gentiles. He said, you will testify about me as you did in Jerusalem. You will testify in Rome as you did in Jerusalem. He got to Rome, he spoke to the Jews, and then he talked to the Gentiles. In that two years, he spoke to anyone that would come. He specifically talked to the Jews when he got there. So, so God fulfilled the promise. And, and that was the whole topic last week. What will God do in order to fulfill a promise? Well, he even steered a ship through a hurricane. That, that's something he was willing to do. He even steered a ship through a hurricane to a specific port. So God kept his promise, and, and we, we see that completely fulfilled now. Number two, God's original plan is being accomplished. Remember, God's original plan, from, from the moment he chose Abraham and said, your seed will become a nation, he said, he said all the world will be blessed through you. Well, that specific Prophecy is about Jesus. The, the Jesus will come. He will bless the entire world. The entire world is blessed because of Jesus. Some just because they live a better life. Some because they've received the gospel. But the blessing of having an opportunity to, to be saved from your sin, that's been given to the whole world. So the whole world has been blessed. But that blessing was supposed to travel through the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was supposed to love God obey God, put God on display so that they became so powerful and so blessed and so righteous and humble at the same time that other nations would come to them and say, we want to worship your God and get in on this. And they would say, our God is this God and explain and they would join. That was the plan. But Israel did not obey God, so they were not blessed so they were not that powerful that often. They were not a beacon of hope, ever. No one ever said, hey, your God's so great, we want to be like you. Matter of fact, a lot of the Jewish people looked at other gods and said, hey, we'd like to try out your gods. And that often brought judgment. So the Jewish people did not fulfill their destiny. They did not fulfill the plan. And God has simply said, that's not going to stop me. So instead of the nation of Israel taking, 
taking the message of Christ to the world, a particular Jew named Paul got the ball rolling, and he is taking the message to the Gentiles, and then those Gentiles take it out farther. He take it, takes it to the Jews who are willing to hear, and they take it out farther. So now God is moving in spite of the nation of Israel. So the original plan is being accomplished. Jewish people all over the world are being witnessed to. Gentile people all over the world are being witnessed to. The kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ were taught with boldness and hindrance, and that has continued on. So the original plan is being accomplished. Number three, there's one more insight we can gain into who was causing all this trouble. I, I noticed, it, it struck me that there was no charges sent ahead to Rome. No letters were written. No persons were sent to say, now that Paul's here, we have charges. Now that Paul's here, we still want him to be executed. Nothing was sent forward. The Romans received nothing at all. So see, the Jews who caused all this trouble were only protecting their own interests. This has become very evident. We suspected it before, now we can see it. They were only protecting their own interests. They were not really concerned about Paul's teaching or faith. They were interested in protecting their income, their position, their power, and their religious system. They did not want anybody interfering with the temple. They didn't want anybody interfering with their, their, their system of, of government, the Sanhedrin. They didn't want to lose the power over the people, and, and that's why they were so against Paul. They had already killed Jesus, and they thought, if we can get rid of Paul, this thing will finally die away. They were a very vocal minority, a very vocal and loud minority that caused all this trouble. And I just thought that was really interesting. And, and I wanted to point out that uh, very much like today, a very small group of people who make themselves very loud and, and draw attention to themselves can cause a lot of trouble. As it turns out, those people weren't that committed and weren't that interested once Paul left. And so I'd say God took Paul to Rome to continue his ministry and get him away from those people. Number four, the results of Paul's preaching was mixed. It was mixed. I find this encouraging. I don't know if you will or not, but I, I just want to say the honesty of the Bible is very encouraging. If, if I was going to write the book, and the great apostle Paul showed up into town, and he witnessed to people from morning till night, there would be a revival. That's just the way it would work. How could you not hear Paul preach all day long and not be convinced? But Paul did preach all day long from, from the Old Testament, the scriptures they embraced, talking about the Messiah fulfilling the prophecy, about Jesus being the Messiah, about Jesus' death and resurrection and forgiveness of sin, the thing they wanted. He preached all day long, and it said, some were convinced, others would not believe, and most of them left arguing with each other. It was mixed. So A, this illustrates the overall response of the Jewish people. That's how it's always been. Some believe, most don't. But B, this illustrates the reason why God had sent Paul to the Gentiles, or why God was sending Paul to the Gentiles. God did not let the disobedience of the Jews stop his message from reaching the world. The nation won't go, then I'll start sending individuals. And he sent Paul. And that kind of wraps up 
the last section of, of the book, we, we come to a, a, a nice place to stop, a good conclusion. We've, we've solved the problem of getting Paul to, to, to Rome, and he's still preaching. On the other side, I want to go back. I want to go back 54 sermons, and, and I want to remind you that the very first thing we talked about was that Acts was a book of transition. Acts was a book of transition. Things are changing in the book of Acts. Where they start and where they end are two different places. And it had to because the Messiah had come. Jesus had died. He had raised from the dead. Now there was a name to the Messiah. Now there was something to look back at instead of something to look forward to. What are the transitions? Well, I have seven of them listed here. There's probably more, but here's seven that that stuck out to me. Transitions we've seen in the book of Acts that are still functioning today. Number one, God's interactive presence was transitioned or has transitioned from Jesus to the Holy Spirit. So in the Old Testament, I want you to realize that that God the Father was the interactive presence. God the Father spoke to Abraham. God the Father did this. He was in charge. He was the main character. He gave the Ten Commandments on the top of Mount Sinai. He he interacted with Moses. He spoke to Abraham. He, He was the voice, the still small voice. Then Jesus came, and Jesus became the voice of God to humanity. He became the representative of the Father. He he was the one who taught and explained and expanded. So Jesus, for his three and a half years in the ministry of being the Messiah, in his preaching ministry, he was the voice of God. So there was a transition already. But now in the book of Acts, we see that transition to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who who inspires the authors of the New Testament to finish writing the Scripture. The Holy Spirit indwells the believers. The Holy Spirit performs miracles. The Holy Spirit instructs the apostles. So God's interactive presence is the Holy Spirit, and He still is. He still lives inside of us. He still helps us understand what the Scriptures say. He still speaks to our hearts when God's Word is spoken. I know this because sometimes someone will say, wow, that really spoke to me today, and then they'll tell me what spoke to them, and my response is, I don't think I said that. And that tells me the Holy Spirit is working. The Word of God is living and active. That's the Holy Spirit. It's called illumination. The Holy Spirit is working. So that's still true today. Number two, God's chosen group of leaders transitioned from priests, Levites, and Sanhedrin to apostles, deacons, and pastors. Now, it had already transitioned from prophets to these other folks. The high priests were always there. The Levites were always there. But the prophets had spoken much earlier. You could say John the Baptist was the last prophet. Then the apostles came in, in, in between, you know, the apostles. And then the apostles, they passed it on to the deacons and the pastors. And sometimes we call the pastors elders. But today... We have elders, pastors, and deacons who lead the church. We no longer have apostles. We don't have anybody speaking for God. We don't have anybody writing scripture. We don't have new revelation where God says, hey, this is new information I want you to have. This is how we're doing things now that's different from the past. Now we have deacons and pastors, and we have elders, and the church is led by this group. So we have that transition that took place through the book of Acts. Remember, they appointed deacons. And then as they they went from city to city, they appointed elders, and some of those elders became the pastor. 
So number three, God's chosen dwelling place transitioned from the Holy of Holies to the believer himself or herself. So when there was a tabernacle with the Holy of Holies, God's dwelling place was in the Holy of Holies inside the tabernacle, and when you needed to talk to God or pray to God or sacrifice to God, and once a year when the big sacrifice was made and the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, that's where God was. The cloud by day and the fire by night moved with the tabernacle to lead the people. He he would move ahead, they would follow, he would come back, and he would be in the tabernacle. Then the temple was built. And the temple was a permanent uh, type of dwelling. And in that Holy of Holies, that's where God the Father was. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where the, the annual sacrifices were made. And you came to the temple to worship, and you came to the temple to pray and to find God. And that was the place. And then the when Jesus died, the, t- the veil was torn from top to bottom. The Holy of Holies was no longer the place where God was. Now God is in the believer in the form of the Holy Spirit. So the dwelling place has changed. Number four, God's chosen place of connection transitioned from the temple and the synagogue, the two places they met, to the local church. When the temple didn't want the believers and the synagogue didn't want the believers, they moved next door, they moved across the street, they moved somewhere else, and they established a local church. Today we have local churches like ours. This is where we come to connect. Connect with each other, connect with with God to be instructed, to worship together, to sing together, to pray together, to, to encourage one another. The chosen place of connection is the local church. Still is. Number five, God's communication to mankind transitioned from the Old Testament alone to include Jesus' direct teaching and the apostles' teaching, which was based on Jesus' life and ministry. So this transition didn't eliminate anything. The Old Testament was not set aside. The Old Testament was not lost. The Old Testament was built on. Much of what Jesus taught was explained in the Old Testament. Much of what Jesus did fulfilled the Old Testament. And then with that fulfillment, we move on to the New Testament, and the apostles gave us uh, teaching based on what Jesus had told them, based on Jesus' life. So we have more information because of this transition, not less. Number six, God's focused effort of reaching mankind transition from working solely through the Jewish nation to working in spite of the Jewish nation, reaching out to all people at the same time. Now, there's a bunch of people who would teach that the church has replaced Israel. We don't believe that. There are promises for Israel that are still promises to Israel. And all the promises that have not been fulfilled already that were given to Israel are theirs. But in the transition, God changed his focus of reaching mankind. He said, he said Israel, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. I- I'm going to change my focus. I'm going to start reaching out through the Gentiles. I'm going to start reaching out through the church. I'm going I'm to continue my work in spite of your actions. You didn't obey, and, and you didn't allow me to bless you, You didn't become my representatives here on earth, and they still haven't, in case you don't know that. 
Uh, there's, there's all kinds of Jewish sects out there today. There, there's the ones that are Jewish only by nationality. They're the ones that are Jewish only by title, like I'm, what's your religion? Oh, I'm a Jew. Only by title. There's those who practice a form of Judaism, and those forms vary quite a bit, uh, from the very loosey-goosey to the very traditional. And then there's the Jews who try their best to live according to the ancient teachings. Of course, they can't go to the temple. They can't offer sacrifices. They don't have a high priest. They don't know who who would be in line, so that they can't even do that. So in spite of the Jewish nation, who to this day as a whole rejects Christ as their Messiah, in spite of them, God is reaching out into the world. He is accomplishing his will. He's doing the things that he's intended to do. Now, good news, he uses a lot of Jewish people. Uh, There's a group called, uh, I'm losing it right now, Jews for Jesus, and Messianic Jews in groups like this who, who have a, an outreach specifically to their Jewish brothers and sisters. And there's Jewish people that love Jesus and serve Jesus and worship Jesus right alongside anyone else. So there are many Jews who have responded, but the nation hasn't. And God says, I'm going to come back to you. You read, you read the prophecies. You read Revelation. The Jewish people have a place. And the 12 tribes of Israel will, will reform and be reestablished, and God will use them, and they will have a special place in eternity. But for now, God is, is working in spite of them. Think about the time of the judges, where God was working in and through and for the, the nation of Israel, but a lot of times he was working in spite of them, because they weren't following him. He did this with David, and he did it with Solomon. He did it with lots of the kings, and he's doing it today. So God's focused effort of reaching mankind has transitioned. Number seven, the focus regarding salvation transitioned from a promised Messiah to a revealed Savior. Abraham, the Bible says, he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. When Abraham heard God speak, And God, through that conversation, indicated, I am the true God, and I want you to do this. Abraham believed God that he was supposed to do this and that God would fulfill his promises, and God said, you're saved. Abraham believed the message God gave him, and he credited him as righteous. He saved him, in our words. Later on, when when the law of Moses came out and and the tabernacle was built and then the temple was built, the annual sacrifices were there, and God said, if, if, you, if you present these sacrifices and you obey these laws and, and live within these guidelines and follow these rules, then I will know that you are putting your faith in me and I'll forgive your sins. When you bring a sin offering, I'll forgive your sins. When you offer devotion, I'll accept it as worship. When you obey, I'll accept that as, as, as obedience. I will take you as you are based on your word, based on your actions, because of your belief, which I can see in your heart, And looking forward to the day when the Messiah will come, your sins are forgiven. So the Old Testament people, the Old Testament saints, had it much harder than us, I would say. They had to look forward to an unnamed Messiah who was veiled in prophecy, so it was confusing who the Messiah would be, what he would look like, what he would do, how they would recognize him. There were many things they 
they should have known about and, and should have been clued into, but there were many things that they weren't. So they looked forward to an unnamed Messiah who would come at an unknown time, believing what God said, that he will come, there will be forgiveness for sin granted through him, and that eventually he will reign in this world and, and the kingdom will be established. They often saw that all together instead of a two-step process. They had to look forward. They had to look forward to that salvation. And that's how they were saved. That's, that's the promised Messiah. Then Jesus came. He was the Messiah. He started fulfilling the prophecies. And if you were paying attention, you had to ask a lot of questions. Is this the Messiah? Is, is he matching with what our scriptures say he will be. Is he doing the things he's supposed to do? And Jesus explained a lot of the prophecies and explained a lot of the Old Testament so that they could see that he was the Messiah. And he lived, lived for 33, 34 years. He served for three, three and a half years as, as in his ministry. At the end, he died, which was the, the fulfillment. He rose from the dead, which was prophesied. He ascended into heaven. He gave them all the proof they needed that he was God. And they had to then say, the old that we've been looking for is here. And, and that was probably a difficult time because Jesus also said, and by the way, you've been doing it wrong for a long time. You need to do it differently. And now that I've come, it's going to change even more. So there was that period of time, another transition. And now Jesus is not here. He's ascended into heaven. And we have these apostles, his chosen representatives who he trained personally, are now speaking for God. And they had to ask the question, do they really speak for God? Do they know what they're talking about? Did they learn from Jesus the right way? So the Holy Spirit performed miracles through them. They spoke in tongues. They healed people. They, they, did, they did a variety of things so that their message was validated. And people could say, you do speak for God. And you talk about the gospel, the good news. That Jesus died so my sins could be forgiven. That I don't have to look forward to one day of being forgiven. Now I can look back at the moment in time I was forgiven. And talk about the gospel and the free gift uh, accepted by, by grace. So the focus regarding salvation transitioned from promised Messiah to a revealed Messiah. Now, 2,000 years later, we look back. Remember the verse that says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us? That was written to these people. While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. Jesus literally died during your lifetime while you were sinners. They're the group of people who claim that 100%. We look back and we would properly say, before I was even born to sin, Christ died for me. So we look way back, 2,000 years back. And, and we can read about the fulfillment of prophecy. And we can read the apostles' teaching. And we can read an explanation of the gospel. And we can read about the change that will take place when we're saved. We can read about the fruit of the Spirit. We can read about all the things. So we have so much more information than any of them had. And we look, and now we, we discuss a revealed Savior. Well, the name Jesus, even if you don't know who he is, is still common. Uh, you say Jesus, people know you're talking about some religious person. 
Even if they hate him, they, they know that. And we look back at a Savior that's been revealed, and we talk about the sacrifice that was made and his sinless life that he lived and the prophecies that he fulfilled. And we have all this stuff. So the transition went from a promised Messiah to a revealed Savior. So God's interactive presence transitioned. The group of leaders leading the movement of God transitioned. Where we go to meet with God, where God dwells on the earth, both of those transitioned. The communication to mankind transitioned. God's approach to getting the word out transitioned. The people that God was using transitioned. And the focus of the message has transitioned. But here's three things that did not change. Number one, there is one God. There is one God existing in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. When, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and, and later when he turned the water to wine and began his ministry, uh, God the Father did not transition into God the Son. We read in the account of creation that God, the singular God, okay, single God, the, the, the person speaking as an individual said, let us create man in our image. So the single God referred to himself as plural. And we can identify who those plurality is as we read scripture. We see the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit on occasion all at once at the baptism of Christ. Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended, and God the Father spoke. We see that a few times. So there is one God. There has always been one God. Jesus did not cease being God when the Holy Spirit came onto the scene. The Holy Spirit had always been there. He hovered over the waters in creation. So he was always there. So there's one God existing in three persons. That has not changed. It will not change. Number two, salvation is received by the grace of God. It was gracious for God to credit Abraham with righteousness because of his belief. Abraham did not earn that. His believing was not some magical act that, that made him eligible for salvation. God gave it to him by grace, and Abraham received it. Salvation is received by the grace of God through faith in God's message. Our message includes Jesus. We have a named person. We have an historical figure who lived and died at a certain time and did certain things, and we have that record. They didn't have that record before, now they do. But salvation is still received by the grace of God. God still grants us our salvation. We don't earn our salvation even in the accepting of it. We accept it only in the receiving part of it. We don't, we don't do something that merits being offered a gift. We, we, are, we are not necessary to God. He doesn't need us. He can accomplish his will without us. So salvation is received. He is offering it. All we do is say yes. And, and even in saying yes, we don't merit anything. So salvation has always been received by grace, by faith, and it still is. And then number three, the ability, okay, the ability and ambition of God to keep his promises and act sovereignly over all things for all time. That hasn't changed. These are odd words that I'm imposing on God, and they may not be particularly adequate, but I, I want to say, uh, you know, God didn't lose 
any abilities when this transition took place. He didn't lose any sovereignty. He didn't lose any control. When Jesus died on the cross, you know, sometimes people say, oh, Satan, Satan was so depressed when Jesus died. He was so surprised when he rose from the dead. He spent three days chewing his fingernails because he didn't know what was going to happen. Not true. Not true at all. Satan knew Christ was going to rise because he said he was. Satan knew that Jesus always kept his word. Satan knew Jesus had the power. Satan did everything he could to get in the way to stop it. But he knew, he knew that Jesus was going to rise. Jesus' death did not hinder God. It was actually the fulfillment of prophecy and part of his plan. And, and nothing that's happened in the book of Acts has lessened God's ability to work. We don't believe in the, the free use of tongues or, or healing or miracles. That doesn't mean God can't perform a miracle. It doesn't mean God can't cause someone to speak in a tongue. It doesn't mean God can't do anything God proposes to do. But it will fit in his character, and it will fit according to his plan, and it will be scriptural. And then God's ambition to keep his promises. We looked last week at how many things God did to keep this small promise to Paul. And then we kind of reflected on what God will do to keep the big promises to all of us. His, his driver, his ambition, his desire, his commitment to keep those promises has not waned. And his sovereignty or his ability to keep the promises has not lessened. God is still God. God will always be God. God will keep his promises to you. He'll keep his promises to me. He'll keep his promises to the church. He'll keep his promises to mankind. He'll keep his promises to the Jewish nation. There is one God... He has graciously allowed many of us to receive salvation from him. And he is fully in control, fully active, and fully accomplishing his will. That's what hasn't changed. So a lot changed in Acts. But the same God on the first page of Acts is alive and well and functioning on the last page of Acts. God has not changed. I hope that's encouraging. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we spent in Acts. Uh, on some occasions it seemed like forever, on other occasions it seemed like not that long at all. Thank you for every lesson we learned, every, every insight we had, everything we could say about you, and, and, and everything that we learned from Paul and Timothy and Peter and Barnabas and Silas and all those guys. Thank you for the the book that you gave us, including it in our Bibles. I pray that, that we will live in these transitions, that we won't get lost in what used to be, that we'll live right where you're at today, doing your will, accomplishing what you ask us to do. I pray that we will know your promises are going to be kept and we'll live that way, that we will know that you live inside of us as the Holy Spirit and, and we'll keep that in mind and it will cause us to live certain ways. Thank you that that we know that you speak to us through, through Scripture, and we can trust it and believe it. Thank you for giving us leaders who lead a church that you've also given us together and, and have connection. Thank you for all the things you're doing. May we never forget who you are. And we, may we never question your motives or your abilities. May we always live according to that knowledge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.